seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless soul, with Aaron and Rohit woe. It's a hopeless soul, with Aaron and Rohit woe. Welcome to the year-end Hopeless Show with Aaron and Rohit. This is our year-end episode. Can you believe it? We have made it to the end of 2020, and we have an incredibly special episode with an incredibly special guest, and an incredibly special people, incredibly special topics, an incredibly special world we live in, and you have an incredibly special beard. I have an incredibly special hat on. I mean, everything's great. <laughs> it is. It is. And we have incredibly special listeners. And, you know, this is our last episode of the year, um, a year where which, you know, we're going to be talking about, you know, we're going to recap it a little bit. Some of the things, you know, the ways the world changed and even just the hope that Aaron and I single handedly brought into the world and manifested and the reasons that the world has changed for the better because of us. Um, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about those. We're going to count down those top five. Um, and, uh, you know, as Aaron mentioned, we have a very special guest, um, and we've been really excited to share this one with you. And we're also going to talk about some, you know, some stuff that's happening in pop culture today. Um, we'll talk about one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll look back and just realize just as we have, as we've been trying to recap the year, this has been a freaking wild ride. Things that we even forgot Oh, about. it's... It's been nuts. Uh, I think Rohit hit on two pieces that are very important. One, our guest today is Alec Baldwin. And second, I think Rohit hit on something because this year has been consumed with the media. It's what we're going to be talking to Alec Baldwin about a lot. And it's been like the media and the news year, the year of the news. And we've covered a lot of topics in the news. And I, I do feel we are as Rohit said, responsible for everything good that's happened in the country and in the world. So you're welcome in advance. And, and now we have Alec Baldwin joining us. It is going to be a lot of fun to talk to him. He is in the news as we speak for a variety of, of interesting things, weird things going on with his life. Uh, we're going to talk to him a lot about the media and his life involving the media and how he's been a part of it how he's been a subject of it and i really hope you uh, you enjoy our conversation with alec baldwin and afterwards we'll be talking a lot more about him so here you go here's alec well what a treat today we have alec baldwin with us alec welcome to the show well, i'm sorry i'm late uh look it's it's covid <laughs> We, we don't have a lot of places to go. And also, how, how are you doing during during COVID? I know you have a, many kids, including a new baby. My wife is from Spain. And oh, everyone right. in this house speaks Spanish. Everyone is bilingual. My kids go to a full Spanish immersion school. And as my daughter, Carmen, who's the oldest one, says to people, she'll lean in and say, my dad only speaks English. So speaking of of kids, we want to start with you as a kid and, and showing this great story of you talking about being a kid on a baseball field and where your mind wandered and stuff. So let's let's show that. When I was a kid, I was playing baseball. 
Uh, there was a woman who lived in our neighborhood who gave, uh, she was studying for her psychology thesis, and she gave IQ tests to all the kids in the neighborhood mm -hmm. when I was like seven or eight. Yeah. And uh, if I do say so myself, I did pretty well on this test. And my mother, of course, ran with that. You know, I mean, that wasn't the, my excuse for everything. My boy is a genius. My right. son is a genius. He can't. My father used to say that to me. He used to say to me, well, you know, driving is tough because it's so easy. He said it's so distracting. Uh, you know, if you're a bad driver, it's sometimes because it's, it's just so easy. You can't concentrate. You know, if you're a genius, you know what I mean? So I was playing baseball one time, and uh, I was in Little League, and I was in the, in the outfield, and very Walter Mitty-ish, you know, I, I suddenly tune out the game entirely. There's a guy over there, he's, you know, raking his leaves, and I'm thinking, I wonder what that guy's life is like. <laughs> I wonder what, where he met his wife. <laughs> how long have they Jeez. lived in that house? And now the guy's up to plat, the pitcher's winding up, and I'm going, and I wonder how many children he has, and what kind of a future he wants for his family. The pitch goes over the plate, crack, the guy hits the ball right at me. I'm deaf now. I'm not even tuned in. Yeah. And the ball is hissing toward me and whistling over my head, and I can't see all the players on my team going, what are you doing? And I'm sitting there going, and I wonder what he had for breakfast this morning. <laughs> and all of a sudden, right as the ball goes, on the ground and goes rolling past me. I snap out of it and I hear all the sound of people screaming and people looking at me. I'm going, huh? What? What? I run and get the ball. Three runs score. We lose the game. I walk back in and like a big word that people used back then, coaches, they would say the word. When I was a kid, their favorite word was hump. Hump, yeah. So I walked in, the guy goes, nice play, Baldwin. You hump. <laughs> that baseball video, I can relate so much because I was the same kid. I love baseball, I actually love playing it, but I would get distracted all the time. I have learning disabilities, learning differences, so I can totally relate in every aspect. I, I speak on that subject all the time, on how learning disabilities aren't actually disabilities, they're, they're what make us unique and make us strong. And obviously, uh, that baseball story did not detract you from going to where, you, where you've gone in your career and how wide-ranging and amazing a career you've had. So when you were that age and getting distracted on the baseball field, did you think you would have a career in entertainment? Was that at all in your lexicon? Oh, no, no, Me meaning when I was younger, I had no uh, uh, illusions, I had no aspirations rather about being in show business. That was not even an issue. That wasn't even something that was on my, my radar. I also know as a kid, you did say that someday you wanted to be the president of the United States. Now, my guess is that has changed and the current landscape makes that that job probably when you were as a kid seemed a little different than it does now with who uh, we've we've dealt with for the last four years and uh, and all that's gone on. But I love the quote. But when I started doing the talk show thing, the talk show thing for me was something I could do at home. I'm always striving to stay home with my wife and my kids. Traveling has become very, very difficult. Um, <clears throat> when we had one kid, when we had two kids, things were a lot different. Now we have five kids, and, uh, and typically my family can't come with me, so I try to stay home in New York as much as possible and work from home. And having said that, uh, um, the talk show, the, the, uh, the, um, first the podcast, and then a televised version of that kept coming to mind, which I, you know, when I did my show for ABC, where the ratings were just, we got crushed, 
we were up against four of the hottest NBC Sunday night football games of the season. I mean, we got crushed. But uh, uh, it was a, really a debacle. But, 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 but I loved doing that show more than anything. I loved it. And when I started doing that show, I, I went back. I watched Snyder. I watched Cavett. I watched, you know, Carson, people who host what are called talk shows. Those shows really aren't talk shows anymore. You know, you come on, you do a very, everything has already been prearranged. You've done a, yeah. you've done a segment interview where it's very Arthur Murray. You know, all the steps are on the floor already and no one's really, <clears throat> although it's thrilling when you see people who do uh, 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 jump off the table, if you will. But um, those <laughs> shows like, uh, like Kimmel and Jimmy and, you know, the old Tonight Show with Carson years ago, it's comedy and gags and it's, uh, um, it's a certain kind of show, but there's talk, but very, very brief segments, relatively speaking. You know, you, you go to Snyder, he's got like a couple of hours with Lennon. He's got multiple shows with Lennon. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about so many different topics from what's going on now to your career and media because media is so important and you've been such a fixture in that world for so long and have played such a big role these last number of years by obviously being Trump on SNL so you know let's let's go back a little with with your career and because you've done you've had so many hats on during your career I came into the building in 1980 into 30 Rock to do a soap opera and that was still going for a bit and then it ended. Huh. For me, I found it very early that I wasn't interested, I found it somewhat tedious to only think about uh, my career in a way like, like, like me saying, this is me inside this box. I mean, that's kind of, a, that's obviously a cliche. And I only exist inside this space and I only want to do that. And people would come to me and say, blah, blah, blah. And I'd say, oh, I don't do that. Or I wouldn't do that. <laughs> the perfect example is Match Game. They came to me to, to host a game show. And the joke was that I would play a game show host on Saturday Night Live. And now I am a game show host on network TV. Because when they first came to me, uh, the idea was to do the show and uh, as a one-off, because uh, my wife and I are always looking for streams of revenue for our foundation. And we, uh, I did Capital One credit card commercials for five years and we gave all that money to charity it was a lot of money and uh so we're always looking for for uh, sources of income for our, our our charity so i do match game and we give the money to charity and uh, uh and then they said oh the numbers were really good would you do it again and i thought yeah and we use that to fund the charity usually if we, if we do a load of the shows that money some of that money not all of it but some of that money now goes into the foundation and um the uh um I think I've just spent the last, especially after you get into the movie business and I'm doing mostly films. I make films in the 90s. I make films all through the 90s. You star in films, some of them work, some of them don't. Your, your stats are very, very average. You're like a major league baseball player. Your stats are very average. And then you come out the other end of that, you're not young anymore. You're, many of the movies, uh, maybe they weren't bombs, but they didn't really sell any tickets. So you, you know, you, you, you become the, uh, 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 the movie star that falls off the movie star tree and they make you into the, uh, 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 the uh, marmalade of independent films. You go into independent films. And um, the, 
I did a lot of indie films after 2000, starring in those bit parts. And then, I mean, like during that time, we get to the point where I literally sit there and go, I really don't care. I mean, I really don't care what people think about what I do. Mm. And, oh, I should do this. Or Whoopi Goldberg offered my mother's charity a pile of money. I mean, the, 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 the guy that owned um, uh, King, uh, King, who owned King Features that, that ran uh, Hollywood Squares, Whoopi was doing Hollywood Squares. That guy, Roger King from King World, they they pay me this huge bag of money for my mother's charity to do Hollywood Squares. And someone wrote online, or they wrote they wrote in the in the in the, in the paper, they wrote another nail in Alec Baldwin's career coffin. You know, <laughs> and I thought, okay, I, I get it. You, you you get it. That's what they do, is minimize. And uh, but they wrote my mom a check for like two hundred and fifty thousand bucks, and I worked one weekend. So we did. We did. There we, you go. We did, five shows on Saturday, five shows on Sunday. You did a bundle of 10 shows with Whoopi. And it was a ball, I had a ball. I remember when we did Match Game, I have a ball. The producer, uh, um, Jennifer Mullen from, uh, from Fremantle, who has since taken over the company. She's the head of the company now based in yeah. London. But Jen was involved in these programs. And now Kim Clyde is her, uh, uh, her uh, colleague who's in charge of the game shows now. Uh, Kim, uh, Scott St. John, who's our uh, uh, um, producer, are you know on the floor. The celebrities come. We have a great time, and in my mind now, I really don't care if how it, the what the optics are to people. If I'm having a good time, I'm having a good time. Talk about reinventing career. I mean, that's wild to me. You know, the the leading man from from Hunt for Red October being. Donald Trump, this kind of clownish New York joke of a guy on SNL who's also became the president. Talk about reinvention. And these these people that you talk about, uh, Howard Stern, I think, is someone that just always comes to mind. I know you're a fan. Go on the show, and, and I love him. And I've learned a lot about him doing what we do. So, I mean, he's actually... I always say that Howard Stern is my best teacher for how to talk to someone, how to interview someone. Because having listened to him my whole life, there's nobody better at, at doing this. Howard. Howard is one of the great, great, great interviewers. I mean, when I go do Howard, my God, they, I have like an open thing. I think to myself, well, I'll be here for half an hour. An hour and a half goes by and we're still going like this. They got to kick me out of there. You know? <laughs> Howard is very similar to Letterman in so far as how much they change over the arc of their career. They have a much more, they have one kind of show, which is when, how, and, and you know, Letterman told me on my podcast, he was running around New York doing stand-ups, uh, you know, hither and yon. He's in front of Tad's stakes and doing all these stand-ups and comedy bits and making fun of signs and windows. And they got a snowmobile on the roof of the building and they have all this, uh, uh, <laughs> ornamentation and all this comedy bits on the show and he told me in the podcast he did with me that eventually he said I just can't do this anymore it's too much work you know, all he did was work all day long to try to drive the show and make it funny and you know they, they just went and sh you know they taped the show went and shot bits all night he said it was crazy so then same with Howard Howard's show is you know topless women uh, you, know, <laughs> you know in his show and dancing and all this crazy sexed up nonsense he has. I mean, uh, I'm assuming it's playful, all of it. I didn't really watch a lot of that on video, but, you know, listening to the old Howard, 
you know, sometimes Howard could be like borderline, like the man show with yeah. Corolla and, and Jimmy Kimmel. It could be so misogynistic and so kind of really, really raw. You know, that was the old. And then Howard, like Letterman, they mellow. They mellow. And Howard realizes that for him to sit in a room and talk to you, he's enough. That's it's more than enough. And Letterman realized, I'm going to sit at a desk and I'm going to talk to you. And we don't need a lot of uh, setting ourselves on fire in Columbus Circle or whatever the fuck they're doing, you know. It's, <laughs> it's like the, the, the Howard Mellows, Letterman Mellows. I mean, I was going to say that the Howard is the other third component there uh, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, for my taste, uh, 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 Cabot, Snyder, Howard. The media is so important right now and it's changed so much over the years we're talking about these these legends and going through the eras from the Edgar Murrows to the now we have many Jimmies on the on the late night circuit and then you have the news channels you have the Fox News CNN and these open dialogues so how did you decide you wanted to get into this world and get into the podcast world and the talk show world and and how you, how you wanted to focus your attention because there's so many ways to go now, now that that world's been opened up, both positively and negatively, I think we would all say. Yeah. But there's some people who you'll talk to them and they don't, um, they don't answer the question, yeah. which isn't very common. You know, now we see a world filled with people like that where you ask them a question and they answer the question they want to answer. When I was a kid, you would read the New York Times and you could listen to the radio, you know, winds 1010, you could watch the evening news. You could read the New York Times for the news or whatever your newspaper was, the Post, the, the, the Daily News, didn't matter. Many more newspapers back then. And you'd read the, the paper for, uh, for to get the news. And then you'd go get a copy of a magazine, typically like Newsweek or Time or uh, the New Yorker or what have you, for the deep dive on that story. If you wanted a deep dive on this person's book or whatever, you'd go to a magazine. Well, now there's been a, there's been a move there. And that is that now the New York Times is the deep dive into the story. Just sit down with the paper is the deep dive. Because you don't have time for that. You go online, you click your phone, there's the story. A bomb goes off, you know, the, the fertilizer blows up in Beirut. Story, video, quick, quick, quick. There's nothing I could possibly say that's a critique of the media that people don't already they know that. See, people know it now. For a while, people lamented. For a while, people were aghast at it. They were surprised. Then they were saddened by it, or they were, they were, they were disappointed. They were even upset or angry. Now people have fully adjusted. Look, I know you've had some, uh, some quarrels, shall we say, or some headbutts with the media in the past. And a lot of people do. It's very different than it was. And uh, I can't, I don't want to say I, I want you to go on an Alec Baldwin rant because I can't just tell you to do it. But, but what do you think about this topic? Because it's so hot button right now. And, you know, if you want to rant, I would. So what do you think of this? We live in a world now, what, what Trump and the reality of Trump's time in the media and all the lies and everything is that people have settled into the idea that they know that the media is, <clears throat> is uh, uh, it's a 50-50 proposition. You used to be able to rely on the mainstream media 
to tell you things, not that they were true or untrue, but that mattered. The prioritization of the news was different then. The news made a concerted effort. They made a very, very conscious effort to present you with the stuff that really mattered to get the wheat from the chaff, you know? And now it's just, you, you realize that you're watching the news and you're like, what does any of this have to do with my life? Them screaming at each other about the same shit. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's MSNBC or Fox. You watch the most highest rated show on Fox and MSNBC. You want to know what's wrong with it? During the cycle of that show, pick their biggest star. And the problem with their show is they say the same thing over and over again, maybe four or five times during the show, just a different way. The content isn't that great. They can't fill an hour. They can't. And <clears throat> I think people have learned that, that the, that the, that the news is something that, you, that you, 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 you have a digest of it on your phone. Twitter is a news aggregator. You click on and you go to ProPublica, you go to The Guardian, you go to The New York Times or The Post, and you find out what's you know, a breaking story. If you want to sit in front of a TV and click on CNN and you watch it for five minutes, okay. and if in five minutes it's people saying the same thing that they were saying six hours ago in the morning, but just differently, that's the problem with the media. It's that it's very, very, very uh, redundant. It, 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 it's almost maddening the level of redundancy in the mainstream media now. You know. Well, look, I know nap time is probably far past over. So thank you so much for joining. It's been a pleasure getting to chat with you. And uh, hopefully next time we get to do it without these computers and Zooms and stuff. But it's been an absolute joy to, uh, to chat with you. And thank you for that, that burst of extra energy at the end. Uh, now you can go be calm with your kids. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, and then a lot's happened since then because we pre-recorded this interview. So a lot has happened since this interview. Yeah, and there was some, you know, I, th I think, you know, there was, I think, some good storytelling there. And uh, the man is a storyteller. Like, I could listen to that dude all day. So thank you, Alec, for, for joining our show. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, usually we start off with a topic and then get into the interviews, but we wanted to just bring that to you, kick it, you know, kick it off strong. But our first topic is directly related to the gentleman whose interview you just heard with Aaron. Um, and this is actually uh, about Alec Baldwin's wife, Hilaria. But I just want to say, I got, a, I got a text yesterday and from Aaron. And he says, I need you to look at this entire Instagram story. I'm like, okay. And so I tapped into this Instagram story. And I was not following what was happening in pop culture for, those, for that day, really. I was watching a lot of football. And I am so grateful that Aaron opened my eyes to the wife of Alec Baldwin. Um, Aaron, remind me her name. It's uh, Hill Laria. Hilaria. Hilaria Baldwin. Um, uh, and she apparently, uh, from what I learned from this Instagram story that was just roasting her, uh, and she's a yoga instructor or a yogi or whatever. And, you know, she's, she's, she's sure, she's got the yogi bod. Get it. Um she also apparently loves being pregnant. And so there's um, <laughs> this, this person on Instagram just posted all these pictures of Hilaria um, being really pregnant. But anyway, so she likes being pregnant. Cool. Some people do. And then it started to take this really weird, dark turn as I continue tapping through this story. And all of a sudden it goes from, okay, this chick just loves being pregnant. And that's annoying. To 
she claims that she was from Mallorca and then they grew up um, and, you know, then she, then she was later, like, I guess, raised in like Boston or something like, or the new, new England somewhere. And then it, there's all these clips of her, you know, with her Spanish accent, you know, and she's like, oh, hey, and like she's on some cooking show and she couldn't think of the English word for cucumber. Um, and she was like, oh, I'm forgetting. And then I'm like, okay, cool. I get it. I get it. I'm tapping through. She's, she's someone that's from another country and, you know, she's adapting. Maybe she's being a little silly and playing up her Spanishness a little bit, you know, because it's <laughs> spicy. And then I keep tapping through this story. And then it's like things from her, like classmates. And it shows pictures of her parents. They are like the most like white bread, waspy people. She was not born in Spain. She was born in like Boston. And apparently her entire, like, her, yeah, they named her their kids like Alejandro and whatever, like really like beautiful Spanish names. Apparently, that's just all just a front. She's like, like, um, what's the word? There was, uh, I think she's like, I guess, brown washing herself or Spanish washing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it turned into this whole thing. Alec Baldwin's wife's like a fake Spanish lady. I personally am totally confused because. And that's why it's so interesting because as we heard Alec talk a lot about the media and how it's gotten more frustrating, he gets annoyed with the media and it's, it's a very uh, hot button topic for him. He's gotten, you know, he's had his problems with the media. And then, and then this is the year of fake news and the year of the like multiple different stories of the same story and facts being not, considered facts a lot of the times like there's just alternate fa- what is it called alternate facts like i could say yo rohit i play major league baseball right now i'm on the chicago cubs i'm their number two pitcher and i'm really really good and then you could say that's not true <laughs> and i could say well that's your version of the facts rohit my version is i'm on the team so let's just agree to disagree. So it gets me thinking, what is true here? Am I on the Cubs or not? Is Hilaria Spanish or not? Is her background that she had parents? Because one of the parents, that was so interesting. One of the parents, their background in New England goes back to the founding father, like to the founding of the country. That's how long he's been in this country. And the mom has been here since the 1800s, her family. So there's no Spanish connection. But what I'm confused about is there has to be more. Maybe she has a, like a godparent from I don't know. But they never came out with actual truth of like what really happened. I think they own a house in Spain. They probably do. I I think I was reading one of the things. It's like that and they vacation there, but like she is not from there. But then I was thinking image wise, like she went to NYU actually when I went to NYU, Hilaria. And uh, so she's NYU. She's Boston to NYU. Like that's her life. So then where did, so was this for image? It's like cooler and sexier to be Spanish and you came over here and you got the accent and stuff. Rather than being just like, hey, yo, I love the Patriots, like Boston. Uh, I don't know. Like, do you have a theory? I do. You do? Okay. Yeah. Here's my I have two theories. I think she's kind of pulling, like, 
like it, there, there's two theories. One is that, you know, you could say that, you know, if she, if she started like, and I kind of buy both of them um, because they're both my theories. Um, but <laughs> I think one is the, is the Elizabeth Warren sort of approach where, you know, she Elizabeth Warren, because she has like 0.0035% native American heritage um, that, you know, she was claiming, you know, that she was native American to get scholarships and get jobs and all that kind of stuff. She was probably using the minority fake minority status to get ahead. I think that's part of one thing. And also I think for her, it's more socially ahead and it's like, it's more for that social clout and it's more for like, Oh, Hey, you know, I I'm interesting. I'm not some basic, you know, yoga chick. I'm different because I'm Spanish now. Um, I think that's part of it. And I think she wanted that sort of like that exotic in her eyes attention. And I think the other bit, the other theory, and you tell me which one you buy more. Okay. Is, is the Rachel Dolezal theory, which I don't think I'm unique in sharing. I think everybody had a gut reaction and that all, that is a sort of almost a transracial sort of discussion where someone identifies as a different race. You know, I think that we are, you know, heading into, uh, you know, a world where, you know, what you're born with, whether it is your gender, you know, or you're now, you know, people are saying there's, there's an argument to be made. Like, you know, if you don't identify as white, should you be able, able to identify as another race? Because, you know, the same way that if you were born as a woman, but you identify as a man, even though biologically you're not, you are still, you know, you can still consider yourself a man. So I think that, that this she might be also suffering from some transracial dysphoria. Um, like Rachel Dolezal, the super white chick. The professor. Yep, that went, got really tan, curl, you know, crimped her hair, um, and then headed up like the NAACP in like Seattle, Washington or somewhere near there. Um, and until it was fun, her parents like called her out. They're like, yo, dude, you can't lead the NAACP chapter. You're not black. You are literally the white bread person that and they should yeah they shared her kids pictures where she was just like this like little irish looking kid so both of those theories i actually think sure i the, the identifying with a race that you're not is a little odd maybe uh in general it's just weird like for like me saying i'm indian wouldn't you think that's weird? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, cool. <laughs> there's another one. Great. You know, it's like, yeah, because there's there. I was talking to God, I hate name dropping, but I was talking to, you know, M night Shyamalan a couple like last year. I was like, yo bro. Cause this is after we wrapped up some interviews. I was like, um, I'm really glad that there's another Brown dude that is just like, you know, at least, you know, we have a couple in front of the camera. We have nobody else behind the camera. There's like no representation of my people. Um, very little outside of just, you know, like the the sort of accented, gro- you know, grocery clerk type, you know, uh, like first generation. <laughs> like a poo. Yeah, for, yeah, exactly. A poo. Even Kamal Nanjiani is great, but, you know, he's, he comes with that sort of all his characters are very like, you know, fresh off the boat. Um, and uh, so it, there's there's it, it's nice to. You know, I was like, wow, there's somebody else that's giving the representation. However, if you join so that what representation, about if I, am I would be What if it's stoked. you, me, and Knight? I want you to appropriate my culture because I think <laughs> I think that causes the spread, and it's great, so I'll take it. So, but I'm glad you'll take me in. I also think it would be really weird if I said that. So, but I just did say it. Uh, I The other, here's another thing. So, Alec, 
Baldwin marrying her and having the kids and having the family, which is all wonderful and wish him and them nothing but the best. I also wonder how, okay, as he talked about, you know, he's had a big career, very well-known guy. How would they think this wouldn't come out? That's what confuses me. And, and it's surprising that it hasn't come out until now, but maybe again, because news is so prevalent in our society and people trying to find stories and things to do because there's nothing to do. So this is the thing that became a thing finally. I, it just, yeah, there's uh, something off about it. I don't understand. There seems to be something we don't know. It's like, this, there's, there's like a sixth sense ending coming to this, Speak coming back to your boy M. Night. There's a sixth sense ending coming. To this. There's something we don't know about this whole situation that has to come out because it just, none of it totally adds up. And your theories are both great and they could be true, but there's a piece that doesn't add up, which is him. Like he had to know this would eventually yeah, come yeah, out. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean- And be bad. You're absolutely right, Aaron. And if the fact is like, you know, you know, according to like all these stories, like yeah, her name was Hillary back in high school and college and whatever. And then she just became Hilaria. Um, but which I find hilarious. Um, but the, I think here's why this is the best time for Hillary to become Hilaria and for them to do that. And I think there's never been a better time because as you mentioned in the news media, I think the news media has proven itself to be wholly unreliable, wholly like, you know, there's, there's so many bad news sources out there. There's so many bad writers that call themselves journalists. Everything is being put out there for clicks. The sensationalist headlines have replaced amazing journalism. We're seeing even like, you know, I think the best writing in American journalism in the New York times, we're already seeing so many of those great writers depart because of how that whole staff and that whole mentality is changing less about the facts, more about emotion and bullshit. So it's like the, 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 the realm of journalism has gone down the toilet, which is the perfect time for somebody to just do live whatever weird ass truth that they want to live and then claim others because the news has not earned itself any marks of reliability. It's only it's like there's more fake news than real news these days. So all she can say is just whatever you believe, whatever crap the media says. And I think, which is what Alex outside with what, what Alec has been saying. And he's been like, Oh, just don't trust the media. Don't trust the media. Cause you shouldn't. And now someone can actually do some bullshit, pull something like brownwashing themselves and like get away with it. Because you I, like, I don't think this story's over either. It's, it's probably not. And I, I'm, I'm here for the memes, man. I am here for it. Um, like I usually well, don't cucumber was the big one. Cucumber was the big one because she in a, I think she was on the today show or good morning America. One of the big things, like one of those ones. And she like either pretended or forgot what a cucumber was and how to say it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I would love to know the answer to that. Cause the, was it an act? Did she actually forget, which is cool. Like we both forget stuff all the time, but, it, but she said, how do you pronounce that? And that was like, yeah, I mean, I forget shit when I'm fucking baked, but like, I don't, I don't <laughs> think she was like baked on that episode and the, but I, I don't know, man, maybe and here's actually, can I introduce the third theory before we wrap yeah. up this topic? What if, and I think we're going to hit this theory twice in today's program. It's the, what if this, and what Hilary is doing is a brilliant piece of performative art 
on the study of perceptions of race and how culture responds to a woman claiming her identity and what she believes in and how that can set off the world. What if this is just a play? We are falling for it and she's a genius artist. I love that theory. I don't think it's true, but I love that theory. (laughs) Uh, I'll throw another little piece out there that I thought was funny. Maybe we can end on a funny note with this story until it's to be continued. It's cool that, you know, Alec was on our show and now we get to talk about this story. Don't want to like, you know, go to town on it in a mean way. So I'll end with a funny thing. So she put up on her story when all this was really coming out and everyone was talking about it. it was trending number one on Twitter and stuff. And now it's on today. It was on CNN. It was on it's Fox news. It's on every single outlet, this story. So, uh, she said, she did a thing where she said, you know, she looked sad and she said, I'm done trying to explain myself, even though she hadn't actually explained herself. Uh, I'm, tr- I'm done trying to explain myself. I'm going to be signing off on uh, Instagram for a long time. 37 minutes later, she posted another post on Instagram and has since had put about seven stories up since she signed off for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I just think we just don't know. And who knows some of it's attention. I think some of it could be attention like good media and bad media. Neither of them really can hurt you. They only help build your profile. So she's way more famous now than she was a couple of days ago. Yep. 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 Uh, and yeah, I, that's probably, I think that's legitimate. And I think, I think, I think that goes back to then the advantageous sort of like approach. She's like, she, she's, she's getting those views. She's getting those followers. She's getting people defending that. And I think where people are coming from that are upset with her is that the longest time people of color have had a hard time in this country, in the United States. And I think when people now all of a sudden, when we're starting to be seen on much more even ground in terms of social, you know, just acceptance and in terms of just like, Hey, there's normal people versus just, Oh, that's another minority. That's great. But like when people now then adopt like being people of color, it's, you've just skipped all the hard shit. And now you are just reaping all the benefits of that sort of acceptance and kind of like an excitement for people of color to be accepted. So I think that's why people are upset. And I think that's why it's turned into a thing. And that's why, like, I don't care what the fuck people identify as it, unless they are literally stealing from me or hurting my life individually or harming anybody having to do with me or other innocent people. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Thank you for, it's for, a good one. for like, I, you sent me down, you gave me some homework and I, it was, I had a good time in, you know, engaging in that. So, <laughs> and, and it relates directly to the media and to the news and to the interview today. And so I guess we keep, now we keep jumping. We go into the year in the year in review, if you will, what is fascinating. Again, this is our origin story. This is the hopeless shows origin story. We started this show right before the pandemic, not knowing that the world would completely change in so, so many ways, so many ways. And we, we picked a few topics that we thought were important then that have turned out to totally change. And we just want to go over them because it just shows, I always use the quote uh, by John Lennon. I've used it on this show a lot of times, I think. 
life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Well, we were making lots of plans in March. They all totally changed. Yeah. I mean, I was supposed nothing to Nothing is the same. Nothing. I mean, I'm back in March. I was supposed to go to South by Southwest and like I had all these plans. I was like, oh, this is what's happening in the spring. And, you know, and that I remember around that time, that's like the world was still innocent. That was right when like Tiger King came out and everybody's like starting to like talk about that. Like, oh, hey, well, we're all holed up for, you know, a week or two. This is a great show to binge on Netflix. Um, and then there was like that weird dating show where people couldn't see each other. But there was like all this innocence happening in the world. But yeah, Aaron, why don't you kick it off? Well, OK, first, as Rohit said, like he was going to South by Southwest. And then there was all these other plans and stuff. And I was, I think, going to go eat in an indoor restaurant. And that went away. So that I, we were also going to release our movie Tar in May. That went out the window and didn't happen till now. So, you know, just life things totally change. Uh, one thing we brought up at the very beginning, one of our first, I think our very first episode was having the talk with your kids about the... COVID pandemic. We didn't know anything about it yet, really. The government did. They had just uh, lacked wanting to share it with uh, us. So we didn't know, but we thought it would be like, we joked about having that talk with, with your kids about the pandemic, which we thought was funny. Cause like, you know, you're having, you have your, the sex talk. Now you have the, the pandemic talk. Turns out not so funny because everyone who has kids is losing their minds and the school thing became a thing, opening up schools, not opening up schools. And we had no idea. Schools would be closed for a year or more that uh, people who have kids, they'd be stuck, like, especially like friends of ours in New York and or in, in smaller abodes. They're stuck in like a 700 square foot place with a couple kids do, trying to do school and make a living and I mean, that topic became less funny and having the talk with your kids about COVID more became how to live and grow up without being able to do anything during COVID. Uh, I know. Uh, and we were taught, we were also joking, I believe, Roy, you chime in, but we were also joking a bit about, you know, having your, the talk with your kids about COVID because, you know, we're adults, you know, we know how to handle it. Turns out we as adults, aren't very good at it either. <laughs> no, I think, I think that was, I think that to me is like, you're really hitting like the nail on the head. It's like, it's like, yeah, the, if, if that was one of the ways the world changed, having to talk with your kids about COVID, I feel like the scientists and the epidemiologists talking to the world was like having a talk with their children that won't listen. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's, we were children in our own ways that needed a freaking talking to, and even not everybody listened. And so I think, yeah, that, that was a, that was a, a way, a major, major change is like everybody was coming from a point of naivete. Um, well, it was big too, because we, at the time, uh, if you go back in uh, Aaron and Rohit's hopeless show history, we were talking about how there were 3,600 people dead. Yes. And, and Italy was going off the hook with at one point they were spiking to like 300 people dying a day. Eventually we thought that was going to be the craziest. Yeah. And turns out that actually we're having like, I think there's, 
I think 300 people died in Los Angeles County yesterday. Like and, I cor- and I correct my right. That was 103 died in Italy in one day and everybody was losing their shit. 103 in the entire country of Italy. Sorry. So continue. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. 300 now in just Los Angeles County in a day, which is just, it's just wild. So just the things that we weren't grasping. And again, we don't, we don't know everything. We joke about it, but we don't know everything. We obviously, I think that's pretty obvious to anyone who listens. We, uh, we don't, we know a fraction of anything. We don't know shit, but we obviously were joking about things that became really, really, really bad and wrong. And we were, you know, we're just trying to make a show here, but we just totally biffed it <laughs> with thinking, oh yeah, it really should have been, the topic should have been having your kids have the talk with you about how to deal with COVID. In continuing not knowing what we were, because we definitely couldn't have predicted that, and then the next big thing is Black Lives Matter. Because then the last thing that we would have thought of when COVID picked up is that we go through, which continues to this day, the biggest social, what would you call it? Social, racial injustice, um, the most protests, riots in my backyard. Yeah. I mean, uh, Black like Lives Matter has been ever. around, you know, the, the organization has been around for a few years, you know, back, you know, even when there was, you know, um, Eric Garner and, you know, and then like the killings in Baltimore and all like, you know, like Black Lives Matter has had Trayvon Martin, you know, BLM has been around for a bit. It's been around for a few years. The what happened was with the killing of George Floyd and then subsequently Breonna Taylor and then just, a, you know, a slew more of black Americans, um, it actually caused a global movement. You know, you had people all the way from Australia to London to France, like participating in in black. I wonder if there was a a march in Iceland. Honestly, I wouldn't be shocked Um, because they've had like, I'm sure, you know, I mean, Iceland has like what, like less than a million people. I think it's 200,000, 360,000, 360,000. Yeah. So there's not a lot of people. I feel the, um, the African Icelandic skinned population was very small there. Um, but yeah, but they, everyone was standing by this except for some reason, just about everyone actually was like for this movement, except for some reason, like half of our country. So it's, I think another thing, just to add on to that before we get to the, obviously the biggest topics of the world changing. uh, I didn't realize Rohit personally, just how whacked out our country is. Like I thought I was naive to some of the stuff that doesn't get covered up by the news that we don't then hear about that was, that just is going on so often. And this was an awakening for me personally of just how I know things are ugly and things can be ugly, but see, I guess because we've gotten to see it because of camera phones, we've gotten to see these things happen. Uh, I personally witnessed stuff in, again, in my backyard where I live, basically. It just, it was eye-opening. And I think you could, maybe it took the pandemic to get this out. I don't know. 
Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it happened. It was, it was overdue. The, the, the water boiled over. Um, it spilled over across the world. Um, and, and yeah, I think two of the most divisive moments of our history or a modern history in the past, let's say 20, 30 years happened in the same time frame between, you know, the extrajudicial killings of black Americans in the U S leading to, you know, protests across the world, uh, protests and sometimes riots, um, as well as a coronavirus, uh, that has literally decimated not only populations, but an entire global economy. Um, and there's homeless people. There's so I think those have been two big ones, and I think we have two even bigger ones for the last two uh, ways the world changed. If you can believe it, yeah. Um, These are the biggest of all by far. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah. Why don't you take yours, and I'll, I'll close it. I'll wrap it up at the end. Yeah, the biggest thing at the at the beginning of the show, March, I was uh, very upset because I lose credit cards all the time. And it really ticked me off because I just, I do it constantly. I'll go to a restaurant, I'll go somewhere and I lose my credit cards and I just lost another credit card. I was frustrated. Like, where do I find it? And so on. And what I have found that's been a gift that I didn't see coming, which is why this is the most important topic I think, or one of, because it really involves my general sanity is because of the pandemic and lockdown, I don't lose credit cards anymore because I have nowhere to go to lose them. So I did not see this hope coming. I did not see the possibilities of not having to lose your credit card because you don't go anywhere, but it's beautiful. Like I have all my credit cards. I don't lose them. Uh, Almost lost my keys the other day but they were found because they were just in my bag. But I still looked for an hour in my car before finding them, before they were found, not even by me. But so it's still possible to lose things, but way less so because of the pandemic. So if there's one good thing or great thing about the pandemic, it's the fact that it's harder to lose things. Yeah, it, and I think it's great. And also, you know, more more retailers are taking Apple Pay and, you know, tap and, tap and go type payment systems. So there's even less reason for you to ever take your card out of your wallet. Um, and I think that'll then take us to the last huge way the world changed in the year 2020. Um, and I think this one, this is the one maybe could be for the better, but is chairs. And I know it <laughs> took me two months to order my amazing amazing Herman Miller in body gaming chair. Um, and I'm sitting in it right now and it's amazing seating. People are spending a lot of time on their couches, you know, working from the couches and losing their people like been complaining about bad backs. Uh, I know of someone, um, that they live in a small, tiny studio and, um, you know, his girlfriend or wife works in the living room and he has to work in the bathroom. He takes all his calls sitting on top of the toilet and has been doing so for many, many, many months. Um, <laughs> so like how we are sitting because we're not sitting anywhere else. We're not sitting in our cars. We're not sitting in any place else besides at home. I think we are so much more conscious of how we're sitting, what we're sitting on, where we're sitting and realize just how much we are sitting. And that has changed. I have never sat so much in my whole life. My steps are awful i need to like it's so it's this is crazy we have become a sedentary species and i fear for our health so that is is, yeah that is i think health wise that has been one of the biggest changes of this past year 
Totally agree. And I'm glad we went in order of importance with these topics. Because now we're going to some, we're fast forwarding. So we were going back in time to some of these original topics. And now we are going forward in time to right now, looking back on a few things that come to mind that were things that lead us, that fill us with hope from 2020. People are saying, can't wait for 2020 to end. Well, there were some good things in 2020. Exactly. And, and we call this, you know, we're calling this our top five hopes fulfilled of 2020. Because as Aaron and I always, we always close out the show with hope fulfilled things that we have individually, manif- you know, single-handedly manifested into the world, you know, from our podcast, you know, bringing hope and then, then, we, then it comes true. These are great. We're able to predict the future and shape the future. Um, that's why you listen to us. These are the top five things that we have manifested into the world. Um, and I think the first one, you know, it goes back. I don't remember what podcast it was, but I, I called it. It was all you. Yeah. I called that the Los Angeles Dodgers would defeat the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series before the baseball season started. And that's exactly what happened. And Aaron was able to, as a Dodger fan, tell us just, you know, looking just really quickly about how much your hope was fulfilled. It was an astounding feeling. First of all, and I'm just talking about you predicting it. It was an astounding feeling to think that if only you had put like 20 bucks on that final, you know, you could have shared some of it with we'd, our production value for this show would have gone way up. So, so, but that's, that's the first thing. Second as a lifelong Dodger fan uh, to be able to experience that moment. I didn't know what it would feel like. I do wish it wasn't the pandemic and stuff. So we could have, there were still LA riot, you know, rioting around it and some stuff was destroyed. Fires were started. Fireworks were all over the city as Rohit can attest uh, from, from his view, but it wasn't quite the celebration I would have liked, but internally, I'm going to talk about the internal aspect of it. When they won, I cried. I was just like really emotional feeling like this is something I've waited my whole life to experience and it just happened. Uh, yes, we're not, we don't have the parade and we're not experiencing it out- outwardly, but inwardly it was just, wow, I've watched this team every year, all the time, go to so many games. They're such, been such a part of my life. Even did a like show with about them uh, not a while ago. Like they, they've really been a part of me. I'm wearing one of their shirts right now. So to feel it, to see it happen, to see a group of players who have been together for the better part of the last decade finally win the World Series. And just what that meant, it, 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 it felt extra good. It also happened right before the election. So it was like, oh, we have something good before things go terribly wrong. Something really good, something I've waited my whole life for. I was thinking about watching watching games with my grandfather. I was thinking about watching games with my dad and doing it again. We actually, as a family, just watched uh, the, the DVD. We, I bought the Blu-ray, the narrated by Vin Scully, of like the championship DVD. And we all, on Christmas Eve, we all watched it as a family together. So, and it was like, just fun. Yeah, it was just, it was like, all right, this is really freaking cool. Like, 
we the Dodgers won the World Series at a neutral site in Texas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was just really cool. <laughs> yeah, and I'm super happy. You know, it's like you know, it's especially for you to to be able to live that. Um, and I think another thing that 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 came you know that came to life, and I in no thanks to me or maybe I was the ultimate jinx, but I firmly believed and was wholeheartedly wrong that um, Donald Trump would be the next the president for the next four years and win re-election. You, however, you you and you put money where your mouth was. Oh yeah, yeah. I bet five hundred dollars with my girlfriend on it. Um, and I was, you, you should know, have put that money on the Dodgers raise. Do you realize how much money that would be worth? Oh my God. Stupid. stupid bro. So it's so stupid. stupid. <laughs> yeah. That was really oh. stupid. Um, this is why I don't gamble. Um, but <laughs> so I was wrong. You were right. And I think we saw the world to sort of, you know, celebrate people that don't even know shit about American politics, but they were like, great and it was great to see like a moment of world unity you know it was it was kind of nice um it really was yeah uh, yeah you were right you brought that hope and it, and it manifested into the world the next thing that you also manifested into the world in terms of hope fulfilled tell us about ben affleck ben affleck was in this movie called the way back about him being a basketball player a basketball coach who has alcoholism and the thing I think that I found most interesting was there was a poster of the movie, but the movie had come out a while ago, but the poster was still up because the pandemic had just started. So they hadn't replaced the poster. And I just want to report it's now December. This movie came out in February and that poster is still up. (laughs) So a movie, a Ben Affleck movie that came out in February didn't do very well. And it's still up in Los Angeles because there's been nothing to replace it. So that to me shows a hope fulfilled yes. in 2020. Uh, that, that is advertising value right there. Um, the, the number four, um, I think it's just a really quick one. You watch Norbit and then Joe Rogan watch Norbit. So you influenced a, one of the biggest podcast hosts in the, in the world. Oh, yeah. He steals a lot of our material. If you haven't listened, he obviously is a silent listener, doesn't ever submit uh, questions, but he steals a lot of our material. Norbit was one of the biggest because he talked about it in his show, what, weeks after we did? So uh, if you haven't watched, if you're listening to Joe Rogan's podcast more than ours, switch because he just steals our material. Yeah. But it's okay because, you know, I think that we, like I said, Aaron and I are benevolent and we want the world to be to, to be filled with our taste and with our takes. So amazing. Yes. And the last one, um, before we get to Hopeless TV, the last top five hope of 2020, and this is, I'm going to end in a bit of a serious note, is, is me time. Um, I know we've all been like, you know, everybody, whether you're working on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or WebEx or wherever the fuck, like... Um, you have been spending a lot of time with your coworkers throughout the day. You see their faces, you see their bedrooms, you see wherever they're working from, you know, and you kind of like you're on that same morning to night schedule. But I do think the fact that we are not in the office, the fact that we can kind of just turn off work, just, you know, even just for a bit, just by turn, closing our laptop um, or, you know, or, or, you know, closing our iPad or whatever, the, 
you are actually able to kind of just get some time to yourself in your own room, in your own office. If, if you live in a multi-person household, you're in your own little area. And even in between meetings, you're kind of sitting there by yourself. And it's like, oh my God, nobody's around me. Nobody is bothering me. And even just those little moments of beauty where you're just by yourself, which is such a rare thing to happen anymore. Um, and I thought it was, it's wonderful. Everybody got the me time. It's almost, we are able to reconnect with ourselves even just for a little bit. Yeah, and for those who lost their jobs or didn't, you know, things have uh, gone south this year and have had me time in other ways to self-explore. I also just have to say, I feel for everyone out there who suffered during this. And I hope that we can get back to a, a time in 2021 where more people do have jobs. And also remember that, yeah, it's good to have me time to, to turn off while also knowing when to turn back on. And for, but for those who have suffered and don't have jobs now because of everything going on or been furloughed or lost, all the different bad things that have happened, man, they've had every, I mean, people have had different forms of me time and I hope we can bring it back in a positive way going forward Yes, uh, for everyone. Exactly. I'm with you. And so it was, it was, you know, we just recapped, you know, how the world changed and then the hope that we brought in 2020 this, with those top 10 items. We hope you enjoyed them. We hope you agree. Let us know, you know, you know, if we missed anything, this is hopeless TV where we talk about what we find hopeless in film and TV and entertainment. Um, and Aaron, did you get a chance to watch wonder woman 1984? So I'm going to be honest. Uh, I have only gotten through half of wonder woman, the original. So I haven't even seen the full Wonder Woman, but I want you to go first with Wonder Woman 1984. Or do you want me to tell you why I didn't finish it? I started to get bored. I, I am just like these, unless it's a really cool origin take that's not the, like they're just the same. To me, the, the superhero thing ran its course seven, eight, nine years ago. And it's just, it's become so repetitive, minus like Black Panther and Logan, who, which I think were completely different takes on what you can do with an origin story or a superhero movie. And I think the only good shit to come out of DC truly was the Christopher Nolan Batman series because those were just beyond epic. And one yeah, those I were actually good. Liked, I liked the first one. Um, I thought it was enjoyable. I thought it was a great sort of way to reintroduce a character, show us, you know, Diana from the Amazon and like uh, just kind of just build that out. It was amazing. Now, Wonder Woman 1984 was one of the worst cinematic experiences I've had in my entire life. I'm still so upset about it. I'm so like and I'm just going to list a couple things and I'm not going to spoil anything, Aaron. Um, but just some uh, just some of the comments that I think are just out of this world. Um the, sorry, so some moments that are out of this world. It's just first of all, the movie is so campy; it doesn't know even what it's doing. It it, it tries. It's it's looking like s someone made a movie about the '80s. That even though Patty Jenkins is you know in her late '40s and lived through the '80s, it looks like the movie was made by someone that was born in '98 and had only read about the '80s on like <laughs> or just seen like sort of like pictures of it, and then they made an entire movie about it. There's so many things that were off, wrong time, space, this and that, whatever. Uh, the next thing it was like, when the whole movie is said and done, there was no reason for it to actually be in the 80s. It had no fucking purpose other than aesthetic candy. And the way I sort of take this movie is, you know, I talk about like, you know, if your movie is the cake 
and like the beautiful the art direction the design that's that's the sort of the icing that's what ties it all together that's a filling like you know so you have the, the substance and the story as well as the beauty which is the layers of those aesthetic layers that are still taste good this entire movie was all fondant and fondant is the you know that garbage that is put on top of cakes and people are shaping it you can't even really eat it although you can this movie has was no cake it was just fondant and it wasn't even good fondant and the posters were absolutely beautiful and look you, the marketing i thought was gorgeous and amazing the trailers are amazing and the movie looked nothing like it it was just fucking garbage even when she's jumping and running around it you can almost like just see where they painted out the wires and it's just her like if she's jumping like 40 feet in the air it's just her legs are just floating it's like <laughs> i'm like are you serious like it and and this they break physics the writing the dialogue is absolutely horrible every every single line every single one in that movie line in the movie you've heard in 800 other movies and the big there's a big line in the movie where she says i'll never love again Everyone's like, are you fucking kidding me? You said that? Like, how did you write that? And he constantly looking into the camera. Like, I, and honestly, and I think that, you know, I, it's been a year of me just ripping on Gal Gadot. Um, and I don't mean, I have nothing against her. This poor woman was put into one of the most horrible movies of all time. And then just even just every bit, the storylines didn't make sense. They interspersed. Her powers didn't make sense. The rules of the movie didn't make sense. It was horrible. And Aaron, I will enter this into the... <laughs> holy pantheon okay this is the <laughs> third entry into the worst movies i have ever seen wow number this is number three and it's what are numbers really, one and two number one was the oscar award-winning best picture winning movie crash oh right um and i yeah i was i'm still triggered about it number two was the movie hustlers um oh, we talked about that movie. we talked about hustlers and and they remember I'm part of the reason I factor these in because of their hype and their production budget because there's a lot of bad movies made for cheap and there's a lot of great movies made for cheap that are just given bad reviews because people are fucking stupid. I enter Wonder Woman 1984 into the pantheon of worst Hollywood movies ever made and I am so angry that it got greenlit for a third and I'm so upset that the director Patty Jenkins gets the chance to ruin Star Wars because she's directing Rogue Squadron. Um, and so she is now infesting her horrible, horrible direction into this new movie. And I'll give you a bit of hope. You actually just made me curious to watch it. I was definitely not going to watch this film. But now that you just said all that stuff, I've kind of got to see it. It's like Cats. Throwback to an early, early episode of our show. It's like Cats. Now I got to see how bad this thing is. So, which means I have to finish Wonder Woman 1, but I have, which I don't look forward to, but I'm looking forward to how bad this movie is. But then can, it, can I segue this into Hopeless TV, um, another piece yeah. I want to bring up? Yeah, yeah, yes. And actually, before you do, I just want to say they're going to study this movie in film school as everything to not do from the first second of the opening credits to the, to, of, to the final last closing credit. Here's my hopeless TV takeaway from 2020 is we need human interaction. I personally am so, so tired of TV. Uh, I just think we need more human interaction and we've gotten to a point where the things that, and I'm to blame, I've raged about TV on this show a ton. Uh, it's affecting us more than it should. 
<laughs> because it's like we're not we don't have other things to do so then like the build up to this wonder woman 1984 the fact that warner brothers released all these movies on tv instead of us going to the theater so we're not even having that go to the theater with a lot of people experience then we're sitting at home ready to just ravage content because we're just so used to that's all we do every day like work tv sleep live die repeat work tv sleep and like maybe do some other things that are around the house i don't know like pick your tomatoes from your garden and that's it so my hopeless tv is tv in general I feel hopeless because I think people have just become too, it's what's posted all the time. It's just TV, TV, TV. And to me, life is a lot about a lot more than TV. It's why my folks growing up only said I could watch a half hour of TV a day because they wanted me to do outdoor activities, be with friends, play baseball, like do things that I liked and not just sit there and watch TV. And I think that, we need to get back into that. We're doing things again because the fact that now all these giant movies are right at your fingertips on your TV and Warner Brothers has a slew of them coming out in the spring. Uh, the big one like Dune and I forget all the other ones. And uh, yeah, we, we, as the pandemic ends, we got to remember how to integrate back into society. And that doesn't mean just staring at your TV. Agreed. I mean, I think one, one thing is like we are very guilty. It's very easy to let TV dictate the conversation. And if that's the only thing you're conversing about, guys, go outside, do something. You don't just put on a mask and go take a walk. Talk about nature. Just find other things to talk about. I love TV, but also, yeah, I'm running out of things to watch. Um, and I think that it's, 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 it's going to be great that, you know, hopefully we talked about the chairs earlier. Just people are realizing like, you know, maybe this is going to be just so people are going to find ways to be athletic or just do something else. I do something different that simulate the mind away from a screen. And hopefully people will talk about that. And now's the time where we take 60 seconds to bring hope. This is hope in 60 seconds. Hope in 60 seconds. And so Aaron, we're going to have two today. Aaron's going to bring you one. I'm going to bring you the other and we are going to get right to it. And Aaron, you're up. Ready for it. Hope in 60 seconds. Kirk Cameron. The actor who was in the TV show Growing Pains in the 80s or 90s, I think 90s. And uh, since then, he's gone on to do a lot of uh, very right-wing Christian movies. And he's been having these caroling sessions with hundreds of people gathered in Los Angeles to sing Christmas carols. They're terrible anti-mask events. And so give me hope because this is showing again that there are good artists in this case and not even very good artists doing really shitty things. Hope. Um, honestly, like there's so much bad out there. Most art is bad art, um, but it's still art. So um, I think that he's that, that whole Christmas caroling thing. I don't know if that was as much art as much as it is just like a publicity stunt. Um, but here's the thing. No one actually respects him anymore. He's not going to get any gigs. This is his cry for relevance. And it's 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 one of the most cringeworthy things I've ever seen. Uh, I'll go. All right, this is all about Kim Yo Jong, Kim Jong uh, Un's sister. Kim Jong Un's gone missing. North Korean dictator. She's apparently the next in line. Again, we've talked about this multiple times, but this is what's scary. This is, um, you know, in her response, just for one of these things, like like South Koreans sending balloons, dropping pamphlets, talking about the how North Korean people are brainwashed and they should open their eyes. She says stuff like, 
He says, they were human scum, hardly worth their value as human beings, little short of wild animals who betrayed their own homeland, she raged. It was time to bring their owners to account and ask South Koreans if they are ready to take care of the consequences of evil conduct by the rubbish-like mongrel dogs who took no scruple to slander us while faulting the nuclear issue in the meanest way in the most untimely time. Essentially, she's this crazy psycho person. And my what I'm hopeless about is that people, I'm not giving you a lot of time, we can go over the time, is that... Um, People are like, finally, you know, like, yes, queen, we have a strong, powerful woman that's taking over North Korea. I'm like, 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 yes, more female dictators, please. Like, people are like buying into this. Help. How do we just like, where is their hope anywhere? I know I just went over a minute, but. You- I don't even know, like with with North Korea, I don't know what to even trust because he was like dead for a while. Then he was alive. Then he was hugging people. Then I read that he was planning a big gift for Joe Biden so that they could be buddies. And now he's gone missing and then she's taking over. So to me, I'm going to look at North Korea right now, except for the people who live there who I feel terrible for. It's just one big wonky reality show. And to predict what's going to happen there is impossible. Uh, What they do there is disgusting. But it's fascinating. (laughs) It's really weird. So that's it. My hope is that it's just really weird. And yeah, like my answer is. Um, and Aaron, why don't you take us to our fan mail? Yeah, we have a piece of fan mail that I found interesting to end the show with actually is Joel wrote me. Why was your shirt on so tight? Because I put up a post of me with the dolphins, all my dolphins gear on because I was very excited because the dolphins, won an amazing game and it's looking like they're probably going to make the playoffs. I think hope. And, uh, it's my team been family life. Fine. Like this is one of the best years we've had in my life since I was a little kid. So, but I had a shirt on that was very tight, I guess. I didn't think of it that way though. Uh, so the picture's up on my Instagram. You can go look at it. I'm the Aaron Wolf on that too. So you can go see the picture. I didn't mean it to be tight. Like, I think it was a bad angle. I love the shirt, <laughs> but maybe it's like old and a little tighter than I, you know, COVID added a few. I, I don't know. It, it, uh, to answer, I, Joel, I, I don't know why uh, the shirt looked so tight. I'm a little embarrassed at the same time to, to bring ho- hope to it. Really happy the team wants. Maybe I was just puffing out my chest really, really big because of the win. I think I think that was it. And also, maybe we're just getting old and fat. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that too. So with that, on that hopeless, I, we wish you all from the bottom of our hearts, of our souls, we wish you a happy New Year, a blessed New Year. And, and truly, yeah. I mean, truly, whatever the road it's really think about say. the word happy new year, you know, like happy, like we want you to be happy and we hope that we can bring some of that, those smiles to your face. And, but like, it's, it's people say happy new year, but you don't truly think about just like, man, I don't want to be miserable again this year, <laughs> you know? No, so, misery is not fun. So thank you, Alec Baldwin for, for being around for the show. Thank you, Rohit for being my co-host. I'm a co-host and co-host. Co-hit, co-hit for co-host. Co-hit. I, I, <laughs> I'm 
delighted that we're doing this show. I'm going to continue it into 2021. And what I get, I mean, any final word you sign us off. Yeah. I mean, and thank you. I, I, all those things. And thank you, Aaron, for being an amazing, amazing go-host and having the idea to start the show. And, um, Thank you also to all our listeners for all your good and bad reviews that we can learn from. Um, and really just thanks for sticking with us. It's, 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 we're so happy to, you know, take an hour of our week every week just to do this. Um, and just have you guys be part of our conversation. It means a lot. And, um, you know, I think 2021, uh, is going to be just as fun. Um, and we'll see what happens with, uh, you know, let's see what COVID-20 does to us and what the new world brings, but it's exciting. And, um, yeah, until then we wish you a wonderful, wonderful new year. And thanks for being with us in 2020. When the world seems cold and bleak and you just can't take it anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's hopeless hope.